Hey everyone, welcome to Trends and Tings, where we bring you real chats on what's buzzing. First up on today's show, well, you might have heard about a new code that is set to be introduced here in Australia, of course, to tackle the bargaining power between Aussie news outlets and tech giants like Google and Facebook. It's been all over the media, so we'll be having a little chat about what's going on, who the enemy really is amongst it all, and I mean, who actually benefits from all this damn drama that's going on? And secondly, well, it's another racism boil over as AFL club Collingwood was today found guilty of some systemic racism happening within the club. So we're going to be talking about this leaked report that came out, the disaster press conference that Eddie Maguire gave, and how it sort of resembles Australia as a whole in terms of racism and how the country reacts to things like that. As per usual, you're joined by your host. My name is Gordon. I'm joined by Scotty. Mate, welcome. How's things? Bought any GameStop you know, shares in the past week after all the craziness? Yeah, look, I'm um, I'm a bit of a bummer with that one because I spend a obscene amount of time on Reddit and this is highlighted. I'm following the wrong subreddits for this sort of juicy, good knowledge. So a bit sour about it, but <laughs> also it, may, it means someone like average person like you and I got a little bit richer versus a hyper wealthy person. That's not too bad. It's no, been a, I think that's good. It's been a true, um, you know, underdog story. A lot of people power, I think, around yeah, it. Yeah, definitely. Uh, which is, I mean, I, lo- I love seeing that. I just, I love the chaoticness of it all, right? Like people just, everyone was talking about it for, you know, the last, what, seven, eight days. And, yeah. uh, you know, it's just like, a, it's, I mean, whilst I wouldn't say it makes my, like, it doesn't warm my heart because, <laughs> you know, people, you know, there was, there was cash going around. People were getting money, maybe because I didn't get any money. Maybe that's why. But, like, you know, it was still a good story to see happen when, you know, there's these billionaire hedge funds and stuff are, yeah. you know, losing I'm, cash. I'm getting a feeling 2021 is going to be like a crazy year. Last year was, you know, very stressful, oh intense. But stories like this make me feel like it's just going to be a wacky, no, like, no uh, nonsense sort of year. So No narrative, yeah. I'm ready for it. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, look, let's jump straight in, Scotty, and, and go to our Mad Tings. For those of you listening for the first time, Mad Ting is something interesting or noteworthy, normally quite positive that's happened in our lives. Scotty, you got a pretty interesting one this week. Yeah, look, this only just popped up recently, but the uh, Black Lives Matter movement has been nominated for the 2021 Nobel Peace Prize, which may, you know, some people might be... Um, a bit interested in terms of how mm. that, you know, actually came to be nominated. Um, but it was actually by a Norwegian. It's not even like a US or even here in Aussie, oh. but a Norwegian MP, uh, Peter Eddy, who uh, wrote a submission. You can only do, I think, 2,000 words. And he basically said his key point was this movement has forced countries outside the US to grapple with racism within their own society. So it's a very strong uh, global movement, which I think... Mm pretty much hits the nail on the head in terms of the Black Lives Matter. It, you know, it's systemic racism across all countries and all cultures. So we won't know until the end of the March, uh, end of March, sorry, if they make the shortlist, but mm. I'm kind of hoping it's up there. It, it makes sense. I hope yeah. it gets there. It's very, uh, yeah, it's, it's a, I think it's become a movement that's gone, like surpassed it's a lot of its origins in a way, if that mm. makes sense, right? It started, we always hear this, the commentary online, right? There, it's like, it's a Marxist organization. How dare they? Um, <laughs> and, you know, I think it's, it's far outweighed that, whatever that initial origin of, of the movement was into something much bigger um, now. And we, we see it all over the world. We've talked about mm. it in the sporting codes and stuff, how it's just becoming a, you know, I mean, you love to see it, but I think there's still a lot of work 
to do. So, you know, hopefully things like this continue to, to keep that, you know, wagon trucking yeah. along. Look, I think definitely a good boost for the movement. And even if they get nominated, I think it does give a bit of validity to mm. um, what people stood for when they marched for the Black Lives Matter. So, look, that's my little matting for the week. Gords, what do you have for us? Well, look, I mean, for me this week, it's a bit of a return as well of, of mm. live events, if you like. You know, I think we mentioned at the back end of last year, you know, you returning to live music and gigs and stuff. Uh, on last Friday, I popped over to a to an A-League game, the football here in Australia. I uh, went to see my, you know, beloved Wanderers play in the A-League, which I'm a member. And like I said, I mean, it was a, it was a one-all draw, so it wasn't exactly mm. an ideal result, you know, as a fan, but... And it was, to be fair as well, it was raining. It was it was a shit night. Like it wasn't, I was rushing from work, but just getting there, you know, I went with a couple of buddies of mine and it's just, you can't beat that live, that live element mm. of, of, you know, whether it's music, sport, uh, you know, so many different things you could, you could put in there. And like just being in that atmosphere again, like I, I got my $15 meat pie and chips of course you know beautiful <laughs> completely ripped off but you know what a meat pie has honestly never tasted so good like in you know cold weather you know watching the soccer or the football and just mm. going you know what this is this isn't too bad to be honest like i think of we've maybe maybe i took it for granted per, on a on a personal note the whole live event um you know the adrenaline and the excitement mm-hmm. it brings so definitely a big plus to to have a bit of that coming back now with the restrictions in new south wales easing yeah how did you find the energy at the game were people really getting into it it was mate people were, were vibing hey like it was i don't know if it was because there hadn't been like any heaps of fans at games this was mm. the first game in a while where you could sit down at your seat and not wear your mask as well so if you were sitting down you could take your mask off if you went to get drinks mm. or to the toilet you had to wear your mask so um there was a lot of there's a couple of chants going around which of course feels weird to say because you know yelling or screaming at a at a, at a sports event you know not plus covid yeah it just yep. feels wrong but um so yeah mate it was there was a lot of, of good moments and it was a good vibe overall so yeah exciting little moment but look let's let's kick right along scotty until what we're vibing this week uh we've got you got an album and a single this week for us so so let us know what you've got uh yeah let me tell you about the first album i have it's called the lockdown live jams by yuri wrong and i'm intrigued already um look yeah look it's just a great little discovery i had off youtube the algorithms sometimes just hit gold and you find something Mm. like absolutely beautiful um and what yuri does is he makes these really nice lo-fi jams but he samples popular movies so he's made a track with a soundbite from tropic thunder inglorious bastards everything that you sort of think like pop culture related even Mm. um pulp fiction he just takes a little soundbite and makes this like really beautiful jam with it um it's super impressive as well because he uses one thing it's called the uh, op1 which is a sampler synthesizer oh, and yeah, sequencer yeah. so it's a tiny little thing but he makes these absolutely gorgeous tracks and so this live lockdown uh jam album is just a compilation of some of his best stuff awesome. if you want that kind of sleepy rainy day sort of vibe definitely give that a spin um the next thing I have is a single from a Perth band called King Ibis, and the track is called I'm Not Your Mum. Beautiful. <laughs> like, you already feel like you know what the band is about just by the <laughs> song title. It's um, definitely that kind of sleepy, indie-sounding band. They're not like a big sound band. They're not too over the top. It's very mellow in what they have. Sort of like if you... 
don't know where to listen to Stella Donnelly or Middle Kids, that kind of just very chilled mm. vibe about them. Chill indie um, rock type of thing. Yeah, exactly. Um, and the track itself is very cheeky and fun. Definitely recommend giving it a spin. And I think the reason why I'm drawn to it so much is I just love live bands that know how to have fun on stage and not be too serious mm. and too in themselves. So I think this is sort of vibe I get from the band. If touring does happen this year, touch wood, I would love to go and check out King Ibis as a wow. uh, live act. Nice so, little find as well. Yeah. So look, those are my recommendations. Gords, I'm very keen to hear about your first track because I'm, I haven't even heard it yet, but now after this recording, I need to go and listen to this. <laughs> you definitely do. Look, yeah, I've got two remixes this week. So a bit different to the usual, um, just the two songs. And the first one here is Dawn uh, by Bronson, who, of course, is the collab uh, outfit uh, Odessa and Golden Features. So, the, you know, they've had some big success in the last sort of six to 12 months. Uh, this specific track off their recent album features uh, Totally Enormous Extinct Dinosaurs, for a lot of you, you know, early 2000 dance kids out there. The fun thing about it, the remix is by Hayden James. So yeah. an Aussie icon, Aussie dance man. Um, and if you just look at, you know, you think about some of those names again, Odessa, Golden Features, Totally Enormous Distinct Dinosaurs, and now Hayden James, you've got four pretty big sort of artists in the, you know, EDM dance scene. And yeah, look, this is... When I first listened to the original track, it's quite a melancholy dance track from Bronson. Sort of builds up slowly and, you know, Totally Enormous Extinct Dinosaurs has a quite chill lyrics and it's a big build up. It, it builds up over a few minutes and, you know, it reaches this crescendo point in a very sort of, you know, a very Odessa way, I would say, in that mm. sense. And what Hayden James comes in is he just elevates from from the drop. It, it, it's we're, we're going from second one, literally second one. He's got <laughs> his, you know, mark written all over it. And it's almost, if I could compare it, I would say to like a club, maybe even like a dub remix or dub mix. Mm-hmm. Um, so it definitely adds that like repetitive beat. Um, and like I said, he, he just almost adds an ounce of energy throughout the whole song. He doesn't, there's no big drop. There's no big moment, which I think is nice. He doesn't try and make it like an offensive, you know, those remixes you listen to and they just, they just absolutely they butcher it, butcher the shit out of it yeah. just for like a big drop. Um, and it doesn't, it doesn't do that. So definitely go check out that one. My second one is, is another remix by, um, Northeast party house this time, another Australian act. Um, and the song that they've remixed is confessions by cub sport. So, Again, it's another mm. energy type of inserter here. Um, I think Northeast Party House have got a very actually unique sound and remix type of vibe. You know, when you hear a Flume song and you know instantly it's Flume um, or, you know, that, that part, that element of their sound. So I'm not a big Cub Sport fan myself, but, um, and this, the original song Confessions is very slow and chill and stuff. So mm. Northeast Party House, man, they, they they take this up a few notches, mate. They, they really take this to like a, I see it at like a, dusk slash you know early nighttime set at a festival or you know big or even just a rave cave you know it's that type mm. of high bass track so another really good remix there as well so yeah two remixes for me scotty but where can people go and find all this stuff if they want to give it a listen or, or give the youtube uh, stuff a watch yeah look if you dig any of our music recommendations make sure you check us out on spotify trends and things what we're vibing uh, you can find us on Instagram and Twitter at Trends and Tings or on Facebook, Trends and Tings Podcast Crew, where we have our link tree with all the episodes' recommendations. All right, Gord, to kick us off for this week's episode, I want to talk about a little code that the government is trying to slip in to uh, apparently, and I say this mm. quite open uh, air quotes, um, bridge the imbalance between Aussie news media businesses and digital platforms. 
This code is called the News Media Bargaining Code. And a little history about it, um, it's kind of been doing the works for quite some time, but it was only until last year uh, the federal government got the ACCC, the Australian Competition and Consumer Commission, to actually develop this code. So that was in April of 2020. There's this whole, obviously, process of, you know, consultation and this kind of Q&A thing to uh, form the basis that would make this legislation. And then Mm. it wasn't until December of this year, uh, sorry, of last year, sorry, that it was tabled in Parliament. Um, And not much has happened since. I think currently it's sitting with a Senate commission, uh, sorry, Senate committee. Uh, and they'll get back to the government on February 4th. So it's still a draft legislation. It's not law yet. There's every opportunity for it to change. Um, But it's very interesting. It's got a few key points. Obviously, you know, um, ScoMo's government love media spins and they love getting Mm. the press releases out there. Um, And so when they did table it back in December, they had a media release. They had a few key points that this code should address. Um, Two things I want to bring out because it kind of will help shape our conversation for this topic is um, by putting this code into legislation, it will enable digital platforms to publish standard offers for content, which provides smaller news media businesses a efficient pathway to finalize an agreement with digital platforms. Doesn't make Mm. a lot of sense. Essentially, (laughs) it's saying that um, publishers can uh, set a standard rate for their content that digital platforms, namely Google and Facebook, will have to pay to have that on their site, to have that on their search function. Mm. The second one, which is a bit more uh, contentious for these tech platforms, is setting clear and workable minimum standards for digital platforms, um, including a 14-day advance notice of deliberate algorithm changes, um, essentially giving our news outlets a heads up if they're going to change any way the algorithm works that would affect how the news is displayed Mm. Um, think like how Facebook changed the algorithm where they featured shared content versus organic content or even how uh, Google's search function uh, crawls out and takes different parts of data so if there's any big change like that they're just saying give these news outlets a bit of a heads up now, it's, it's definitely interesting, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, look, it's it's sort of like do us a favor. We're, we're struggling a little bit. We need all these handouts we can potentially get. And I'm, looking, mm. I'm a little bit biased in this conversation because a lot of uh, the news that's been around this has been quite anti this code. Um, Google have come out. So Mel Silva, the VP of Google Australia and New Zealand, she came out quite early and said that this code is unworkable and essentially breaks how an open internet works because the whole idea of charging people for content for you know news is not essentially what the internet was founded on you know it was just free mm. access information so she you know came out with that and they kind of spruiked that Google has this new thing called the Google News Showcase which is very similar to the code. It's just like a commercial agreement between news publishers and Google. So Mm. I was a bit iffy about that coming out. Facebook's been very quiet, which is probably very tactical. A lot of attention is really on Google um, and the federal government. Um, And the, the other thing I'm kind of seeing with this conversation is when we're talking about news outlets in Australia, the two ones that kind of get brought up the most who will benefit from this um, code is Murdoch and uh, Nine News Fairfax. Mm. Yep, yep, yep. Um, 
it's it's so it's odd you know a very even like in a early iteration of this code um public broadcasters like the abc and sbs weren't even included so if the whole point of this code is to bridge this bargaining gap it, it seems a bit odd that you wouldn't include the abc and sbs at the beginning hmm. so will this achieve a fair balance <laughs> i'm initially going to say probably not if it passes I think the people who will benefit the most from this is Murdoch and uh, Nine Fairfax. Yeah, I think it's a can of worms if ever there was one, Um, Mm. you know, because, yeah, look, I'm biased in a way because I've been, you know, in the publishing and and online media world for quite a while. Um, Mm -hmm. And, you know, there's, there's plenty of, I think, decent arguments on both sides. And I think, yeah, like you said, a lot of the initial conversation is like, oh, yeah, it's, and to the to that point's credit, in a way, like mm. you don't exactly have the best warriors for justice in terms of Murdoch and <laughs> Nine Fairfax leading the cause. I mean, yeah. Nine Fairfax are, in, I think, a different kettle of fish compared to say News Corp and Murdoch. But in saying that, I do think um, it comes at an interesting time, right? Because if you look at it, yeah, there's been talks about it in the past, but it's really ramped up, you know, post COVID, mm. where we know all too well about you know falling revenue rates and closing publishers at. Um, you know, various levels and, and heights. So um, mm-hmm. I think part of of that is that, you know, obviously I think publishers are trying to, re- you know, especially Murdoch's with order bleeding, um, mm. are trying to recruit some cash, no doubt. Um, but it's it stinks of like a bit of a, all right, liberals, let's get, make sure that, you know, especially these, these liberal-leaning publications get their money. I mean, like you said, ABC and uh, SBS weren't included and, until there was some greens, I believe some greens mm-hmm. lobbying to get them on, on the card, if you like. Um, so I do think there, there it, it does reek a little bit on the government side. Like, you know, they're trying to line the pockets and create favorable codes and, and laws for their publisher mates. So they can continue to write nice articles about the liberal government so they can get mm-hmm. into power again. It, it, I definitely think it has a bit of an angle of that. So that doesn't paint the content side that great. And I'm honestly not sure on the smaller publication side, I think it's going to affect them too much. Like as far as I'm aware, I mean, I'm not sure how yeah. much it would, I, in fact, if anything, I feel like it would be more detrimental to them, right? Because they don't have big databases, um, you know, that if, if Facebook or Google was to stop showing news or, you know, end that realm, sure, mm. a Bing might emerge from the dust or, or whatever else, um, a DuckDuckGo yeah. or whatever else, but yeah. uh, it could but I don't know. I don't. You know. I think it would hurt those smaller publications more. I mean, what what are your thoughts? Do you think there's a a clear winner or a clear enemy in in this case? Yeah. Look, I think you're pretty close to like hitting the nail on the head. That it's. I feel like this is really just to keep afloat a dying industry just for a little bit longer, so they can still have their influence over the media landscape. So part of the code, um, one thing they had is in there is. Um, to meet the criteria, you need to have in excess, I think, 150K of revenue, operating revenue, mm. which I feel like, uh, I don't know, small to medium-sized publishers, do they make that much in a year? I'm, I'm not sure if that includes a lot of um, like independent journalists or mm. independent outlets um, purely because they just don't earn enough money to cover that. So I think I think it's quite biased. I think you're right. There's a bit of... Um, a bit of uh, control here to make sure that uh, your Murdochs and your nine Fairfax are still in the race. So yeah, come election mm. time, it's much easier to pump out favorable content. I think I was reading, which I didn't even clock this, that 
Peter Costello, who was the treasurer for the um, Howard government, is actually the chairman of uh, of Nine Media, <laughs> yeah. of Nine Entertainment. So, you know, it's just like a revolving door for Liberal Party members. Mm. Um, so my, my question to you, because I think I know you're quite across this is, do you think this is just like a, it's more like an advertising issue and, you know, Murdoch and Nine aren't getting the slice of the pie because, um, you know, I guess Google make money off search revenue of search volume. And I guess Facebook also can have that in their leverage as well in terms of, um, I guess, yeah, the advertising spend, maybe they just want a bigger slice of the pie. And this is the heart of this code. Mate, potentially it, it all it all comes out of cash it's, it's just fact mm. like they all just want a bigger slice of the pie and you know not have to pay detrimental detrimental rather amounts of money to other people uh, mm-hmm. or other brands etc um you know and i think the interesting part about this is um like i've said a few times on the potty before i think i think news has been undervalued in a way in the in mm. the past like we've talked about you know free access to news and how regular how much of an expectation that just is um mm-hmm. it's why we've seen publishers go to paywalls right because they're not making as much money off advertising as they were previously they just mm. they just weren't so they the, the model is changing right subscription based platforms have been have been rising and stuff like that um so the model is changing i think there's there's a fair, fair amount of um i guess vigor in that argument that you know news is underrated in in australia mm-hmm. and probably around the world people just want it for free and expect it for free and that's it but the way it works is an advertising model uh if, if you want it if you want to have to if you want to pay for it okay well there are plenty of sites that will make you pay for the news but mm. and then you rarely you might not get as much or maybe not even any advertising if you pay for something um so i do think there's argument to say all right there, there, sh- there needs to be some reform in like the journalism and content sector because it has been very much driven by advertising and in the same sense that social media right like facebook google all free to use why? Because there's advertising that supports it, right? A lot mm-hmm. of like modern day, you know, business models in terms of advertising are, are free access and you get ads, right? Like think about games and apps and stuff like that. Oh, sure, there might be like a literally. premium version, right? But there's not like a, it's usually get it for free and then pay for stuff as you go uh, or pay for, you know, you just get advertising. Um, so yeah, like I said, I, I'm, I'm sort of split on this one. I don't know if I, if I lean one way or the other because Google obviously are arguing that they're sending traffic to say, let's use news.com.au, which is, is owned by News Corp. Mm-hmm. They send traffic to news.com.au and by that measure, Google, uh, sorry, News Corp makes money off traffic, right? They make money off advertising and eyeballs that see that website. So yeah. it's sort of like where is it chicken or, chicken or the hen type of situation? Who who comes first type of thing? Does, does news.com.au don't know, you need to exist and produce the content for sites like Facebook and Google to then provide like channels to mm. re- to click that content. Do you know what I mean? Or, you know, would news.com and the likes die if things like Google and Facebook didn't exist? Would you, like, do you have a thought on that? Because I think it's very much like, that's one thing I've struggled with trying to think of it. I'm like, I'm, I'm unsure because I see both sides of, of that coin. Yeah, look, I think... I think there's some validity in helping, well, helping is such a weird word to say <laughs> for a Murdoch or a Nine, but helping them transition to um, potentially a stronger digital presence that isn't so uh, reliant on like an advertising model. Because I guess like Facebook and uh, Google aren't journalists, like they don't have in-house 
newsrooms that don't have teams that make this content. So there's still space in this market for a Nine or a Murdoch or, you know, like the ABC and whatnot. They are the genuine, you know, they've got journalistic integrity. They've got the standards to produce good news. Um, I, I just wonder, is it, you know, is it because um, Nine and uh, Murdoch, sorry, are still invested in old media formats, so print and radio and TV, that they're just trying to keep those businesses afloat because it's still... Mm a bit of a market there and like I understand it's older people. So maybe this transition should come to time. Maybe as we, like I get my news primarily through, um, uh, well, I get some through my Google alerts. So mm. it is Google leaning or a, a news feed. It's, I don't watch 10 news. I don't watch, uh, I don't think I watch any news programs. Yeah. 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 I would say um, I do either. So perhaps there's an eventual transition away from, um, I guess, yeah, old media as, as it's referred to um, and maybe the government's job. That's why I'm, I'm a bit sketchy about this code. This code, I feel like it's just maybe to still prop up a business that is still bleeding, like with mining. They get mm. subsidies yeah, um, despite them being a dying industry. I don't think that's really helping our future as a nation. And I think maybe this is the angle we should be going here with this as well is um, should we be making a code that keeps these um, – kind of traditional media um, companies stay afloat for what, another 10 or 20 years, or can we help with the transition to a little bit more digital leaning? I know there's still validity in like keeping regional newspapers or people who don't have access mm. to internet. So do you either bring internet out to those people or keep those newspapers going? That's a different conversation, I guess. Yeah. Um, but I just don't think this code addresses the, that like the power um, issue. And mm. it's weird because it's, it's a power issue between tech giants and media giants. So it's still like big dogs playing with big dogs, you know, I think. Yeah, look, I think there's some actual really good, I think you nailed it, hit the nail on the head there a bit. It's There's some validity on both sides of the argument. I think the validity is there's some really good points in this argument that these tech companies should somewhat, like if, if it's not paying the cost per click of, if you don't, a set price mm. per website, like at least contributing a bit more to that dialogue of whether they do more grants. I know that they've been doing, uh, trying to do a few grants and stuff for yep. websites or, you know, I'm not sure what that, I don't have the silver bullet answer for like what that contribution is on their end because they do rely on it to some degree, right? Like, yes, um, journalists and stuff use Twitter a lot, for example, or Facebook a lot to get their content out there. Um, but mm. they ultimately, you know, Facebook and that in the same way that publishers make money off advertising by getting people to read their content, Facebook and Google do the same thing, right? They make money off ads by people then visiting either Google or um, Facebook, whatever. So it's a bit of a, it's a bit of a tricky situation. I think there is validity though in the argument that news is undervalued and yep. should there should be a conversation about, all right, there's enough money going around where I think we, we should still be able to keep at least the majority of it freely accessible. But mm. the, the value exchange, the money exchange has to keep happening, right? People need to have jobs. Journalists need to have roles. So there needs to be some discussion there. Now, on the other side, you look at the two biggest companies that are benefiting from this, News Corp and Nine Fairfax, and it makes you go, okay, well, how legit can it be? You know, when it, it, whilst there are good arguments on the publisher side, you've mm-hmm. now got you know the the federal government pretty much lobbying on behalf of Fairfax and News Corp 
companies that they've got in their back pocket and know will help them in, in elections and mm. pave the narrative of the world in Australia. Um, you've got them on your side. You didn't even have the ABC in it. You didn't have the, um, you didn't have what's called SBS in it. SBS. Yeah. So if you don't have those guys in it, you know, that's what I'm worried about. And part of this legislation, right? If Google or Facebook changed their algorithm for how content is served, they would then have to notify the companies on the bill on this, on this code. Correct. So they would have to say, okay, um, okay, news Corp, we've changed our algorithm. Then they can further skew. They can basically know about it before any of the other companies listed on that, um, on, that code which obviously there aren't that many um Mm -hmm. so they can sort of further manipulate how they create content so in a way it says to me okay the fed gov which have put this code in front of the tech giants are also guilty right because it's also like you guys are crafting this law to me anyway in a way that is making it easier to number one drive more money to publications you give a fuck about and number Mm -hmm. two give them ability to really dominate the market. So you can sort of crush off all the small little independent and, you know, maybe potentially left-leaning publications and your ones <laughs> can really come to the fore, right, and and dominate. Um, that's the thing that has all – that leaves me a sour taste on both sides, right? Because I remember, you know, having run a publisher myself, mm. we were at a point where we had amazing organic reach maybe about two years ago. I remember all of a sudden one day it just fell off a cliff. Like it went from like, you know, massive rates of just organic reach. We're doing no ads to within 24 hours to 48 hours, it being 10% of that amount Mm. of reach organically. Uh, And and we spoke to Facebook. Well, look, what's the, what's the situation here? Why why has it gone from, you know, basically heaps to none? Did we violate some, some policy or like some rules or what? And they're like, look, no, actually we've checked your account. There's nothing wrong. Um, so we actually can't explain it. And I was like, all right, well, look, uh, right. How, how do we get it back? Like, cause you know, obviously we count on it quite a bit and they're like, well, there's two things you can do. Number one, make better content. Literally what, literally what they said. And, and number two, run ads. That was their second thing. So they're obviously changing their home. It's like, we're going into this is a big groundhog day. like they're running they're they're changing their algorithms, right? Because when your content mm-hmm. becomes organically good enough, you then have to rely on them to, to publish you that's your main channel of clicks so it's yeah, so, that they yeah. manipulate it just as much as as the govern you know murdoch and stuff yeah and look this is why i just i'm not particularly a big fan of this bill because it if it was to really if it was a genuine um passion to bridge the gap between publishers and uh these digital platforms i think you'd be more conscious of uh, the smaller players, like the independent players or the medium tier publishers that add uh, a bit of media diversity. Because I think mm. this actually does the opposite. It doesn't achieve media diversity. Like you said, it, it gives um, Murdoch and Nine Fairfax a heads up into how to better shape their content potentially two weeks ahead of every other publisher in the market. And so they're mm. just going to get better and better. And then we become quite almost like single voiced in terms of our media landscape, yeah. which is absolutely a horrible thing. Um, I think that would be, you know, we say we're a proud uh, democracy that also thrives on a capital, uh, capitalist mm. society, but we're also ha- expecting a <laughs> yeah. handout from yeah, the government. So um, look, I find it very rich. And I think if I was going to end with potentially what people can do, I've been seeing movements, um, people saying, look, don't trust the tech giants, just go subscribe to your favorite news outlets and been saying, I'll go to The Age and I'll mm. go to news.com. They're not my particular favorites <laughs> at the moment. I would probably say step away 
Uh, look at a few independent options like uh, Michael West or Independent mm. Australia. Or even if you want to look at bigger players, uh, The Guardian or Conversation. I think support mm. independent journalism so their clout becomes bigger. Because uh, I guess, you know, viewership does help with bargaining power as well. So yeah, I think if we can, my- yeah, I think if we can change, sorry to cut you off, Scotty, but I think if we can change the way that, you know, funding is delivered to these, these organizations, especially if you like mm. one, right? If you like, if you legitimately like one and you can spare, you know, the three to five bucks a month, I think that would be a huge difference, right? Like that, that's would make such a big difference if like, you know, 10 to 20,000 people were to support a specific brand mm. like that, that takes out. So, you know, somewhat of a need for, you know, advertising and, and can keep them afloat. And, you know, if you get your content directly served via an email or, you know, through, you know, notifications on your phone, whenever they post something new, I think that helps. Um, before, as we do wrap up, before we do, I'm keen to get your thoughts on this. Do you think it's just a big hoax? Do you reckon Google are just scare tactics doing this classic scare tactics round on, on the government and, you know, cause they're, they're doing all these notifications on Google, right? Which you might've seen yeah. if you go onto Google, yeah. they're like, Oh, well, you know, you might've heard we're in the news. <laughs> um, you know, all these things, do you think you'll follow through or do you think it's a bit of a, Oh yeah, we'll just say no. it. And then I think, I think for like the infrastructure costs to block out a whole country, like I know, mm. um, sure. You can probably do something around IPs, but like to, blocking a country's traffic and then how we interact with other um, like websites and other forms of the internet. I feel like it'd just be too much of a infrastructure cost uh, mm. for Google because they lose the potential, you know, I think they earn millions of dollars of revenue from that. Plus then they incur a infrastructure cost. I just don't think they would go through that. I also like dear God hope so. Cause I've been hearing <laughs> Bing is the oh, potential, I don't think Bing was still a thing. So I hope that's not out. Could you imagine where the country known for using Bing? Oh, mate, if we get Bing, we may as well go just install Internet Explorer back onto everyone's fucking laptops. Get, oh. get rid of Chrome, get rid of Firefox, get rid of all these <laughs> D Safari. Let's just go Bing on Internet Explorer. Truly a sign of the times, right? 2021, talk about it being a chaotic year. That would yeah, be Bing is that it, would be yeah. a mark, right? <laughs> Scotty, so look, topic two this week and it's a bit of a doozy because it's one that's sort of in the midst of, of breaking. And, uh, you know, whenever you're listening to this, you, you might sort of see it unfolding in the media. I think it, it's got a bit of legs in it in, in the next mm. week or so. Uh, but basically, Collingwood, uh, you know, one of the most popular AFL clubs, I would say, in Australia, um, of course, because obviously AFL is only an Australian sport. In but Australia. Thank I digress. <laughs> um, uh, yes, the Collingwood Football Club uh, have been come under scrutiny. They basically the gist of it is that there was a leak report um, called the Do Better Report. Now, this was a, an officially commissioned report uh, paid for and, and commissioned by the club themselves into the procedures and functionality when it comes to, I guess, dealing with racism in the club. Um, it, it sort of happened, I think, in the back end of last year, uh, and it was conducted by Professor Larissa Berent, uh, a director of Jambuna Institute for Indigenous Education and Research at UTS, uh, and colleague Professor Lyndon Coombs. Now, they ran it, as I mentioned, it was all independently run though, so the club didn't really have that much to do with it. Um, you know, these two uh, individuals sort of went about their business and, and started to compile some 
some news. Uh, mm. And it came out today that basically, um, you know, the club had been found guilty in, in essence of uh, committing systemic racism throughout the club uh, in various elements from, you know, the players to the board. It's quite damning, to be honest. Like this mm. is a massive deal, I think. Um, I don't think we've realized quite just the, the repercussions this could have. You know, Collingwood aren't if anyone's familiar with sport, you know, the Adam Good situation, some instances with Eddie Maguire, you know, then when in a way I wasn't shocked that Collingwood was the club that, you know, mm-hmm. rape, systemic racism was an issue with. And I think in the report they talk about it being a wider issue within AFL. Again, not super surprising. Um, but they said, you know, it's so basically in a, in, a, in a nutshell, they said so fucking bad at Collingwood, we are releasing this whole report about all the stuff that needs to happen. And I've got a little quote here from a little excerpt from the New Daily where they're speaking about it. And they basically say, Collingwood's history with racism was described as distinct and egregious with the club's leadership, particularly its board, needing to drive structural change. It described a culture of individuals, if not quite being bigger than the club, then at least having unhealthy degree of influence over club culture. Um, So look, I mean, that says, a, that says a lot about mm. what's going on. And to make things even crazier, I'm not sure if, if you've kept super across this, Scotty, but Eddie Maguire, who we love to hate, of course, um, you know, he came out as the, you know, I, I don't know if he's exactly the club CEO or chairman. He's, he's up there running the show, though. Um, he came out and did this crazy press conference, you know, after this report <laughs> yeah, came out. Um, and, you know, again, I'll quote some stuff he said he said in it. Um the, the first thing, the first thing he said around it he said it was a historic and proud day for the club this this report coming out he went on to say and I quote he says we have spent the last six years in a deep dive into how we can make ourselves better provide leadership and conversation in the community as only Collingwood can we have decided as a club that this fight against racism and discrimination is where we want to be this isn't criticism this is a review. And as you went through some of the quotes, you could tell he was just, you know, he's digging the proverbial hole mm-hmm. here and just jumping into it. So it's a really interesting um, sort of topic that's popped up. And I've got a few thoughts on it. But, Scotty, what's your initial reaction to this? What's your your thoughts? I know you're not a guy who's across the AFL scene too much or the sporting realms, but what's your feedback? What's your first response to this? Look, yeah, as someone who's not super across um, AFL, I'm also not surprised. The fact it took like six years for you to like, catch mm. on that there was a potential issue within your club is like all loads of ludicrous. Like just, I can't even fathom how it would take you so long to figure out there's such an ingrained issue within your club. Um, and the fact that it stems from the board down to the individual um, like club players is like, it's just gross, you know, like mm. I, I don't, it's just hard to really fathom that such a, cause yeah, I think you're right. You know, every time, I hear about the AFL, like Collingwood is, there's so much fanfare for it. You know, if you go down to Melbourne, you know, people mm. wear um, their jersey or the scarves. With, with, it's like a badge of honour, you mm, know. Totally. So I could have even imagined um, as a fan of the club, you're not particularly proud to be hearing this news as well because you don't want to be that one club in the league that is that club, you know. Yeah. Um, but look, I'm not surprised. I think it's a sort of like a staple response from how we – tackle racism racism in this country i think we mm. like to downplay things and that that press conference was a i feel like scomo's like 
marketing person, not Scoma himself, or whoever writes these, you know, marketing spins, wrote Eddie's speech because it had that oh. very same lingo of, you know, look, we're we're making progress, we're we're doing better. It's not an issue <laughs> because we're on top of it. Um, I would like more honesty. I think if you know they came out and said the um, do better report has highlighted these issues, we acknowledge that this is not good. We will do better. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I think honesty is that real. It's. I think honesty is that missing piece in these conversations. It's always a spin. It's always like we'll fix it. You oh, know, like totally, it's not really our totally. fault. It's something else. Uh, I think honesty is just. It's always lacking in these conversations. So not surprised, but hopefully something good comes from it. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. I think there was a, an interesting quote that came out because there was there's a lot of talk about this uh, actually. Uh, mm-hmm. And one of the former players at Collingwood, uh, his name is Harrietta, um, or I think that's how you say it, Harrietta Lumumba. Uh, and he was a former player for Collingwood. He's, he was known as Harry O'Brien. He's got uh, Brazilian and African heritage. Mm. Uh, and there was talk about how he was called chimp by some of the players uh, and very highly, ra- like he was involved in a lot of racism at his time at the club. At the time of this coming out, which is, it's been quite consistent over the last few years, people mm. rinse this guy, right? Like on social media outlets, ironically, News, uh, News Corp's Fox Sports, of course, were involved in this. People commenting, going, oh, this guy just shut up, like walk away, mate. It was a classic portrayal of angry black guy stands up against racism, get on. And people were just like, get on with it, mate. Stop taking, stop having a whinge. You're like, nothing, mm. and none of this even happened. You're just talking shit, which has many resemblance to Adam Goods, of course, which we all, we know well too much yeah. about his, his scenario and situation. And you know what? Like there's a part of me which starts to think about what you said just then and the fact that it's just even in, in this instance, like say with um, Lou Mumba, who was uh, a former player, when there is continuous evidence about racism happening – continuous mm. reasons for you to be suspect or to, to you know, call like we know about how Eddie Maguire didn't have to not like, you know, very nice things to say about Adam Goods when that saga was unfolding mm. for, for it to still be then, you know, not talked about and for an hour report an independent report to come out to then prove it. I think, like you said, it, it does say a lot about how Australia as a whole handles racism and, and the conversation around it, how people sort of feel quite threatened. Like racism feels like quite a, you know, it is a quite a strong word, right? So mm. people are like, just like, no, nah, no, nah, it couldn't happen here. Like, just stop. You're taking the piss. Toughen up. Nothing happened, mate. Get on with it. You know, that classic sort of like larrikin sort of behavior, which just mm. sort of no, 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 no. Don't worry about it. It's all good. I think there's a, you know, we have, of course, talked about Australia Day last week, uh, Invasion Day. And how the, I think you can see some parallels here, if you know what I mean. And a lot of people today on the socials, mate, it's been largely like, oh, well, this is embarrassing. This is really tragic for Collingwood. I think people are starting to see, okay, these things do happen at such a big level. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other part that was interesting that I took from what you just said there was the fact that they didn't, even in this case where they have been proved to be like systemic racism in the club, Eddie Maguire and the guys that were on the board that did this press conference, they were saying, you know, this, it's, this report doesn't say that, you know, we're a racist club or that there are people here who are racist. Just, we've got some mm. procedures wrong. We don't have the correct procedures. It's like, that pretty much says that you're a fucking racist and you're a racist club. Like, you know, they tried to pay, like they tried to wipe this instead of going, you know what? We, we're going to acknowledge that we uh, have messed up mm. here and, and we've got things wrong, which I think would have helped them set themselves on the next trajectory 
they yeah. sort of, like you said, tried to uh, PR spin it into a, you know, nothing happened here, nothing to see here. Just we're, we're putting some fires out here. And they knew about this from December. They knew about these results of the report since December. Right. Uh, and just so happened that Eddie Maguire, of course, said that he was stepping down from his role within the club about a couple of days after apparently this, the results were, were known. So he knew about all this. He knew about yeah. all the fallout that was coming. Um, so yeah, number one, I think it's, it's frustrating, but number two, I do think it does represent Australia. How, what, what do you think about that? Do you think that, it, you know, this, this example in this case does sort of foreshadow a bit how the country deals with, with racism or, or what do you take out from that? Yeah, look, hundred percent. Like, again, if we went back to, uh, the Australia day, uh, conversation, our own PM said, Oh, you know, the person <laughs> came, people came over on the first fleet, didn't have a cracking time as well. So, you know, there's no, there's no empathy. Like, I think empathy is very lost, uh, in this conversation. And, like I get it, you know, like it's an ownership thing. You don't want to say, you know, as a club, we've messed up or as a country, we've, we've dropped the ball in a situation, you know, like everyone wants mm. this, give this, um, give this image of in control and stable and sort of like you're on top of everything. No one likes to be, I guess, vulnerable and expose the cracks. Um, but I think unless you have that vulnerability, you can't let healing happen. You know, like I think, if you we as a nation can't say we've wronged uh, the traditional custodians custodians of the land, we can never really properly heal that relationship. And I think even here with Collingwood, if you can't generally be vulnerable and say we've you know there's either some ingrained behaviour here or it's it's generational on generational racism that's kind of created this culture. If you can't acknowledge what's there and be quite vulnerable in uh, the situation, I think the very staunch macho approach is not going to actually solve the issue. Um, so that actually, which mm. had me thinking Gord's, um, cause I guess you're across the league a little bit more than I am. Do you think there are any maybe first step gestures that might actually as a club, they could take to maybe resolve this? Is it, um, the thing that makes sense to me is having the board have a bit more diversity on the board, not not from like a tokenistic approach, but genuinely diverse voices that would influence the club culture. But I don't know if there are any other gestures that might make sense to kind of get there. Yeah, it, there's there's probably a few things you can do. Like you said, there's some some voices on on boards or or pat or you know representation. We we've talked about this before in general, right? Uh, mm. Yeah, that could that could all help. I think the the league. Uh, you know, mm. AFL as a league needs to be really firm here. Um, you know, in, in the UK, the, in the Premier League, um, there was an example this week as well of, of some black players uh, being subject to some really racist stuff on like social media channels, Instagram, mm. Twitter. Um, and I have to give credit to the Premier, like the Premier League over in the UK. They're one of the, you know, obviously they've got a massively diverse set of players, so it makes a lot of sense, right? Um but they've been very, very firm in their, we're going to keep, like they're still doing the take the knee before the match, their, you know, you know end racism rounds and stuff mm-hmm. like that. They're continuously doing stuff, even though a lot of people like keep politics and football, you know, out of it and shit, um, yeah. which I assume a lot, there might be some of that going on here as well with, with some reactions. Um, so I do, th- yeah, there, there could be some changes at an administration level. Absolutely. Um, I think the AFL needs to really show their skin here because, 
if this is happening at Collingwood, like my gut feels that it's probably happening at other clubs too. Um, you know, mm. when you've also got like a high amount of, you know, obviously white players compared to say uh, people of color or, or black players, then you're going to put yourself in situations, right? So I think the AFL needs to be quite strong about this more than anything. Um, the interesting part about sort of diversity on boards and stuff, right, mm-hmm. is, and I came across this quote, which I think ties in nicely, uh, where Lumumba, who was, uh, I was speaking about before we played for Collingwood, he was talking about uh, in an article where, um, you know, he, he was, the, the big moment for him was the Adam Goods scenario. Um, yeah. And he was speaking about how that influenced him. And he said, you know, and I quote, he says, what I saw in that experience with Adam Goods was power, power's relationship to handling racism. Uh, and he goes on to say, and if you look at the power structure within all institutions in Australia, you will see that there is a common thread. And that common thread is that it is dominated by white people. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is, you know, really struck a chord for me because I was like, you know, yeah, you look at, say, even SBS, right, which is known for being a multicultural, quote-unquote, organization. At mm. the top level, it's, it's it's all white white guys in suits on the board and stuff at, at a vast <laughs> level. So, you know, you look at the AFL, like, same situation, Collingwood Football Club, the guys doing the press conference, say, Eddie Maguire, a couple of other guys, mm. all classic, uh, you know, made of the same ilk and same cut to some degree. So, yeah, I, I, in saying that, you hear some of these things and you're like, all right, to, to break down that that issue with racism, uh, we need to probably, you know, address that a little bit. And now that's mm. not to say at all that people of color and, you know, uh, people of ethnic backgrounds can't also be racist. Absolutely, they can. Uh, I don't think this is, is specific just to white people in this instance, right? I think mm. there's, mm. you know, a lot of people to blame in this instance but i do think it could be nice as well right to also have some of that diversity represented in some of these power structures of football clubs or on the afl you know for the most part i've always thought AF- the afl seem to be you know they seem to do all right compared to say you know the nrl and stuff like that in terms of their oh. their reputation <laughs> yeah, and stuff definitely. but a big part of it of, of this finding as well was that the the report said that the club's response to like you know, uh, domestic violence or, you know, drinking and stuff like that was quite strong. But when there was Mm. an issue of racism, they just wouldn't react the same, which is quite a telling part for me. Yeah. I feel like they should be in the same sort of territory, right? Like if if your players are caught, you know, uh, with drug abuse or domestic violence or like any sort of like, like felony or crime, you know, they get penalized for that. Why should racism be a separate lesser issue i think you should so i think yeah maybe part of the solution is accountability through you know penalizing players or um even club members i think that kind of helps if you're held accountable a little bit more Mm. oh absolutely i mean what do you think about the idea that uh you know this is sort of like like what's the like you just asked me about next steps Mm. what do you think for clubs around Australia, like, you know, sporting leagues, because we hear about it, you know, often stories like this pop up, whether it's like, in this case, we've got a report. Sometimes we'll hear about a sledge, you know, the Mm. cricket was on in the summer. Uh, You know, we heard about a few racism reports there. There's obviously um, the the frustrating thing about it. And I was listening to a podcast about the, um, the soccer situation in the UK, Mm. the football situation. And they were saying how, you know, obviously they're sort of like worried, not worried, but sort of getting a bit grounded day in the sense that it keeps things keep happening we keep talking it again and again and again um 
what, what, what is our collective, you know, next step, do you think, when it comes to sort of like sport and stuff? Because on one hand, it's such, and I'm a, uh, definitely a testament to it, I think there's such a great power in, in what sport can provide. But mm-hmm. in the same sense, it does keep throwing up these little instances where you're like, all right, especially with racism, um, it, it makes you wonder what, what, can, what do we need to do? I think the big thing, because I think it really helps in the Australian context is not make racism so taboo. Like the moment you start like raise mm. the racism flag, everyone kind of shuts down and says, look, we can't talk about it. You know, like either we're not equipped to handle the situation or, you know, it's, it's your series of events. So it might be racist to you, but it's not racist to me. So then it's not an issue. I think mm. kind of sort of in a way, destigmatizing this conversation around racism, which yeah, so like Groundhog Day, people have been trying to do it for years, but um, you know, by destigmatizing it, then you can have better cases of accountability. Like I definitely backed the. I think with the um, cricket case, there was like a lifetime ban uh, potentially for those punters. I I'm back zero tolerance because you know people have had to be tolerant of racism for so many generations. I think it's very fine to now to say you know that's it kind of one strike mm. you're gone sort of thing yeah probably, the guys. probably yeah. So good. no i was gonna say like you know probably there is some uh grayness in that in that kind of mm. statement but i think across the board if you're quite firm on your sort of stance then at least people have that expectation when they're coming into a stadium or cricket ground or anything like that you know there is absolutely certain behaviors that won't be tolerated yeah, I think cricket, like you said, they did. They do have a pretty firm stance on it, and I, don't, I think those guys might have been technically tr- like cleared. The guys who were mm. in that instance, but they're very much, yeah, very strong band situation. And I think we might need a few of those cases, right? Where it's like there might have to be some sort of case studies of people really copying the brunt of comments that are mm-hmm. racially driven. Uh, will it happen in this Collingwood case? Like, you know, I'm interested to see who the people who the culprits are, <laughs> um, but. I think, you know, people at that level, board members, if, if they're being, if they've been found to be guilty of such instances, maybe there does need to be some of these, you know, real life case studies to show it's mm. not just a thing that you get a slap on the wrist for. There's serious consequences uh, for this. Uh, and I think in closing, that's the next step. We really have to put pressure on people and, and organizations to, you know, hand down harsh punishments and not just, oh, okay, well, we'll get better and Collingwood, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll improve our procedures and get better for the next time. It's like, no, nah, this time you're going to cop a bit of a, you know, there's going to be some, some penalties involved and it'll encourage people, I think, to, you know, be better for next time. And hopefully it's a conversation we need to be having less on a podcast. Yeah, look, with Eddie McGuire wrapping up in this year, it'd be very interesting to see who they replace. Um yeah, as the club's chairman yeah. or president. So. Yeah, very much so. Interesting times, that's for sure. But look, Scotty, I think that'll just about wrap us up for this week, the second week back mm-hmm. for 2021. Thank you, everyone, for listening. As per usual, you can follow all our social media channels at Trends and Tings on Instagram and Twitter, Trends and Tings Podcast Crew on Facebook as well. And remember to go check out our uh, What We're Vibing Spotify playlist for all our tunes this week, uh, as well as our link tree in our Instagram for all our other little bits and bops that are floating around. Thank you all for listening. It's been a really fun one. We've got, like I said, Scotty, some interesting stuff and announcements coming up over the next few weeks and some interesting guests as well in the, in the pipe for 2021. Yes. So all soon to come. But thanks again for listening and we'll catch you on the next one. Ciao, everyone.